Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday, the Friday before Thanksgiving. My name's Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. It's November, what is it, the 18th, 2022. And uh, just in case I don't talk to you before, have a good uh, holiday, good vacation. Maybe even got the whole week off. Who knows? But you're going to have a few, day off, a few days off, and I wish you well. We've got a show today about the competency-based learning. We're going to touch on project-based learning, too, with with uh, Dave Lipkin. Dave is the CEO and founder, I might add, former classroom teacher, which is key, CEO of Lift Learning. And you can learn all about that after the show at liftlearning.com. But uh, he describes it as uh, a company that helps schools design systems in which youth can thrive by finding their voice, their passion, and their purpose. And uh, I did a show yesterday with uh, Brent Goldman down in Florida. He feels kind of the same way. And my good friend last week, uh, competence-based learning is a guru, certainly up here in New England, Fred Bramante. Okay, we talked about all this. And, uh, you know, this might be time to think about how we can change things and understand kids better today and all that. So Dave has put together a wonderful uh, company. We're going to talk about that again. liftlearning.com. We're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org, ace-ed.org. That's our home website for the American Consortium for Equity in Education. And this is a big week for us. We, uh, we had the Equity Awards given out on uh, Monday. We informed everybody, did a big show on it, et cetera, et cetera. Congratulations to all those people. If you go over to ace-ed.org and look under awards, you'll see that incredible list of educators and companies all across the country. We are so happy to get so many nominations in, et cetera, et cetera. It just made us feel good, and we were happy to be uh, to honor all those people. Our new issue in the magazine came out yesterday, too. That's uh, Equity and Access. You'll see the cover <clears throat> right on the uh, uh, website over there. Just click on Read the Good Issue, okay? The podcasts are all over there. All the work we do in SEL is over there. You'll see the link for seltoday.org as well as teacher-retention.com, which we are really, really concerned about the teacher retention. So please go over to ace-ed.org and check it out. And hopefully my friend Dave is there. David, are you there? I'm here. Good morning, Larry. Hello. Thank you so much my for buddy. having me. <laughs> my pleasure. We were going to do the show on uh, today's Friday. We are going to do the show on Wednesday, but we couldn't get a good connection going. So we postponed it to today. I am thrilled we're crystal clear today, Dave. Me too. Yeah. And Dave is in Bristol, Vermont. I'm in Maine. Okay. How much snow did you get on Wednesday, David? Just a couple of inches, but boy, did we need it. <laughs> snow is coming. Ski season. What can I tell you? All right. And Just that's to make time. sure that we love it up here. Okay. But it's important for everybody, all our listeners down south, to feel really good that they don't have any at all. Okay. That's what snow is about. Okay, so that's right because we know how to drive in it. That's right. If you're down south, (laughs) if you're down south, you don't know quite how to drive in snow, so it's better to just stay home. Uh, And I I heard the the Buffalo Bills are playing this week in Buffalo, and they're expecting four to six feet of snow. That's four to six feet of snow. Okay. Well, Larry, I just want to say thank you so much for driving forward all of these crucial and important and urgent conversations around equity and education around competency-based, uh, recognizing, you know, the, the incredible work that our, our teachers are doing and yeah. um, the challenges in the profession and not just the challenges, but looking for the solutions. So I just want to thank you for that. Uh, well, it's an exciting time that. where the conversation is getting 
richer and more clear about what's needed. Um, so thanks again. Uh, well, I appreciate that, David. I really good. Thank you very, very much for that. All right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was saying I talked to a gentleman named Brent Goldman on the show yesterday, and he was saying how we really have to have a new paradigm in the way we teach. Okay. And we got to talking about that, Brent and I. And, 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 and it was saying, you know, schools were set up to put people into the workforce. Okay. It was a six, seven hour day. And eventually over the course of time, you get used to a six, seven hour day, eight to four, nine to five, whatever the heck it was. Okay. But work has changed, especially since the pandemic. Our culture has changed and schools have to change accordingly. All right. And one of the ways they can change, and as you know, I'm good friends with, with our guru of all this, uh, Fred Bermondi, one of the ways it can change is competency-based education. All right. And I, I just, you were a classroom teacher. I believe your wife as well. Okay. And you were teaching in Vermont and you looked at things, you decided you could do, do, do something more. Okay. By creating a company that took what you were trying to do and literally move it nationally. Okay. Just talk about how lift learning got started. And, you know, I tried to describe it a little bit, but just talk about what you're trying to accomplish with it. That's pretty open. Sure. But go for it, David. Have fun. <laughs> and brag a bit. Okay. I might add. Brag a bit. Huh. Well, I don't think it's me that needs to brag. I think we need to brag <laughs> about our kids. <laughs> so each and every kid has such incredible potential. We all say that. We're not necessarily bringing that out inside of the traditional model of what I call one-size-fits-all education of the comprehensive high school. And it does a lot of good things. It does a lot of things right. Um, and yet it's kind of set up to divide kids into you're either good at school or you're not. And um, you need to go with the program, right? Your voice and yeah. your choice and your interests and passions are not really on the agenda. And that has some pretty profound developmental impacts by not nurturing that voice and autonomy and um, interest-driven learning that our brains are literally wired to, to want. And so my co-founder, who's also my wife, Josie, yeah. is an amazing and dynamic teacher who is always building innovative uh, schools and educational programs and supplemental programs to make sure kids found that joy of learning. And she had received some uh, funding from the Nellie May Education Foundation to nice. build what they call the Pathways Program. Nice. And, of course, they do great work in equity as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so they said, what would happen if we just asked these young people what they cared about? What were their goals? What are they good at? And we built with them, co-created, co-constructed a learning pathway around that. And that's a pretty radical idea, um, but it is possible. You know, at the time it was called personalized learning. Um, mm -hmm. It's also pretty difficult to manage if you don't have a good accountability system. And that's where competency-based education comes in. What Josie and her colleagues did and many other innovators have done is they said, well, let's not talk about did you complete this task this activity, because that tends to build passive learners, right? 
um, kids who just wait to be told what to do, and then they do it, and that's the definition of success. We could be doing so much more. So let's focus on the skills. Competency-based focuses on the skills in a very transparent way. So the kids know what these skills look like as they develop ever deeper abilities. And the measure of success isn't completing a class. It's mastering a skill when they're ready. And so it's profound because there's no such thing as failure. You're somewhere on the path to mastering a skill. You'll get there when you get there. And to the extent you can be intrinsically motivated to develop that skill. So instead of doing it because I'm told to do it, I'm doing it because I really want this job in my community. And I know that if I work on my speaking skills or my writing skills or my, um, you know, wayfinding skills uh, and build a network, those, those are things that will get me where I want to go. And that, really changes the paradigm, as you say. Uh, you get we motivation, this explosion. And, and what it, it's hard to do. It's a trust activity to listen to these kids and build these uh, pathways. But what our thesis is, is that if you do that well enough, the academic achievement will accelerate too. The core knowledge will be there because it has a context and a reason and relevance and I think that's the shift that's coming is people living in their truth, living in their purpose and uh, having support inside school to get there. You know, you're going to die laughing. <clears throat> By the way, I'm all in favor of competency-based education. I, I really am, but you're going to die laughing when I ask you a few of these questions because I'm going to play the devil's advocate uh, like a listener might. Okay. And uh, all right. A kid wants to become a uh, plumber. All right. Uh, how old does the kid have to be when he makes that decision? All right. What what grades levels do you think this works? All right. And what's that kid going to do all day? Flush the toilet? Now that was my joke. Okay. You go ahead and tell me how this works. Okay. Tell the teachers. And I'm acting as devil's advocate here. Okay. What do you want me to do? I'm a teacher. How do I do this? Well, I got a kid who wants to become a plumber. My teachers need. <laughs> and by the way, we need plumbers. Well, when a plumber, you need a plumber, you really need, need a, plumber. a plumber. I need a plumber. Yeah. So, well, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's a great example. So uh, the first thing is um, to really listen to the kids. Like teachers are not necessarily deeply trained at eliciting where those interests really are and what's behind that. So it may be that a kid wants to be a plumber. It also may be that they love working with their hands and they're interested in water or um, or distribution systems. So there's a lot of kind of connections you can make to widen the, the field of opportunity. And that's one of those things that promotes a lot of curiosity, um, a lot of exploration. And, and we know from developmental psychology, uh, which is actually my uh, background, that oh, really? hmm. when kids form identities, they try things on as, as they go through adolescence, right? So they may want to be an NBA star or a plumber and try that on for a while. And then they try the next thing and the next thing. And what you don't want to happen is that they get, you know, down the road to high school or college and then they go, oh, I never tried anything on. Uh, let me figure out in college what I want to do. Mm -hmm. 
and, and then spend two years trying it and then go, well, that wasn't a great fit. So we yeah. want to get in the habit early. That's 60,000 a year. different things on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> about it. Yeah. So, and it's also, you know, important not to think this is just kind of woo woo uh, that <laughs> a kid can, you know, I don't think out one thing and just, just do it. Um, they need core content. They need academic push, right? They, they need exposure to things and rigor. And so where oh, yeah. they rigor comes key. in yeah. is finding that balance between, you know, choice, um, experiential learning, and rigorous assessment with real expectations. And if the kids can own the expectations, if they can know this is what mastery of plumberhood looks like, right? This is what I'm going to need to know on the science. This is what I'm going to need to know on, you know, the customer relations. All of those things are part of plumbing. And that's a pretty rich picture. It is. may help the kid know, is plumbing really for me now that I've seen it broken out into all of its components? It it, it really is. And by the way, uh, you know, when I say plumber, if you ever watch a plumber work, believe me, do you think that they understand STEM? They understand science and technology and engineering and math. They may not admit that, but if I tried to put pipes together, uh, the trees outside would explode, okay? These guys know what they're doing, and ladies, I might add, as well, all right? And not that I'm advocating plumbing per se, but my point is it takes a lot of skill to do it, okay? Just like does, and that was a good explanation, Dave. What, when you think of competency-based learning, what grade do you think this needs to start at? Where does it begin? Because, like you said, kids, uh, younger kids want to be firemen and policemen, that sort of thing, or NBA stars, whatever the case may be. Okay, where, where do you see competency-based yeah. starting in the K twelve system? A lot of the K twelve system tends to talk about competency-based in terms of career readiness, which is fine, but I don't think it's the whole picture. Um, we need to do a little more than just build a pipeline directly to the, you know to the workforce. Um, That's really important for economic and post-secondary success. I'm not taking anything away, but competency-based is really a mindset. So as young as possible, if we work with our kids to accumulate skills, success breeds success. And kids can walk around knowing, hey, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at this. And, oh, I've got these kinds of skills and I've applied them in um, uh, second grade math class, but I can take those same skills of problem solving and apply those to a lemonade stand or some other interest or project that I might be doing. And so they're called transferable skills. Um, And so as kids go through the world and start looking at the world as just places to apply their skills, they they become amazing. Um, they see everything as an opportunity. They don't. They can adapt to changing situations. So I think it's really just part of healthy development from the youngest age. At the point, what point do we start assessing kids on skills and competencies using rubrics? Um, we see that happening in some models as early as. Um, 
first or second grade. We tend to focus a little more on the middle and high school right now. Um, but more and more. You mean lift learning? You mean lift learning is more middle the, and high school? Do you mean particularly uh, lift learning? At the moment. Yeah. Yeah, at, at the moment. But the, yeah. the, even the younger elementary grades are really attracted to transparency. If the parents know the skills, it means a lot more than saying, good job, your kid completed my class and got a B. Like, what does that tell you really happened in that space? You don't really know. You're trusting. Um, competency gives you a way to trust but verify. Oh, well, these are the actual skills. And, and with Lyft Learning's um, offerings, kids are building a portfolio of things that demonstrate what they can do for each essential skill. And so they can back up their learning. They can back up that grade and say, let me show you what I can do. And that's a game changer. And you just brought this up. What does, and I mean this seriously, what does lift learning actually do? I, I, the philosophy of competency-based education to me is really good. Okay. And it, it makes sense these days. And I know more and more schools are going for it. How, what does lift learning do? Your company, when you go into a school or a school district or a charter school, a private school, whatever, I know you work with all those types of uh, institutions. Okay. What do you do? What, what do you... We make their lives easier. So typically <laughs> well, a, good answer. a, a like school it. that wants to do competency-based education or personalized project-based learning, um, they've got some challenges. Um, if they want to use a traditional learning management system that's built for, you know, one-size-fits-all teacher-mandated education, um, and you try to put a competency wrapper around that or student-led learning into that, it really just doesn't work, and they just end up with a lot of workarounds. Um, and so they might have this beautiful vision for great pedagogy, but typically it's hitting some friction points. And um, so we built a software platform that was really just designed to embody all of the great things that great teachers do and just make it easier to be learner-centered, learner-directed, um, make sure the skills are always at the top of mind, um, you know, give opportunities in the software for kids to get uh, to build their own projects so they learn how to plan and um, curate resources and, and hold themselves accountable. And so it's a next-generation software platform, and we provide that for day-to-day -day use inside of schools. And we also um, help with the change management. So if a school or a district mm -hmm. is transitioning to competency-based, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, work to do there to get shared understanding and protocols and get everybody on the same page. They, they need to educate their community, as, as you know, and right. um, right. PR is a big part of success. And so we help with that with a suite of professional development and facilitated services um, just to be a thought partner, um, help a little with the messaging and, um, spread the model so it can be much more sustainable. And how, Dave, how does an, an educator these days, and I'm, I'm going to use me, okay? I was a middle school social studies teacher, and I'm long out of that, by the way, okay? But I was a middle school social studies teacher. Okay, they decide to bring lift learning into my school, 
Okay, how does that affect me? What do That's I a do? great question. Uh, most of the time, the schools that are, they're somewhere on the journey to be competency based, but they're most of them are not all the way there. So you have pockets of people who are all in. They get it. They've lived it. They've learned it. And then you have pockets of uh, folks who have some more traditional training. And so I'd have to ask you which kind of teacher you are. Now, if you're in alternative education. I was traditionally trained. Uh, I'll give you, because I'm I'm older than this, but I'm 50 years old. I'm a traditionally trained teacher. I've been teaching for 24 years. Okay, now what? Got it. Now now they bring competency-based learning, and I'm not against that, but I don't even know what I'm doing here. Talk to me. Sure. So we're going to start by um, uh, looking at your existing curriculum that you teach and putting it inside of the Lyft platform um, because it works fine that way. It will hold traditional instruction. But what we're also going to ask you to do is please make a direct mapping between the things you're asking kids to do and the skills that it's intended to demonstrate. So that exercise is really informative because a lot of teachers will say, well, yeah, I asked them to do this worksheet. I don't really know why. Exactly. Um, How'd you, were you in my so, classroom? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's a big job to teach. Yeah. You need stuff, yeah. right? And it's hard. It's hard work. And so, you know, <laughs> people have activities and, and the activities hopefully are engaging and meaningful. But, you know, asking ourselves the question, why am I teaching this? Is it really benefiting the kid with an explicit yeah. opportunity to develop the skill? So, so we don't want to force the change to go too fast. Meet you where you are. You're teaching. You're doing a fine job. Let's put some things into the lift and make those connections. And now my feedback to the student or your feedback to the student isn't so much about get it done by Friday afternoon. It's about, hey, let's look at this thing you built and talk about where you are on the scale of mastery for the skills that it is aimed at. So it just slightly changes your feedback conversation. Um, Maybe next year you'll take that a little further and you'll start assessing them on the rubrics that come in the platform. And then you'll, when you really get going, you'll start having kids build portfolios for their critical thinking and their problem solving and their social emotional learning. That's when things kind of build momentum, but getting there is not always easy for traditionally trained teachers. They're going to need the support of their leadership. And so we select schools to work with that are committed and aligned to a model change. Uh, We tried it other ways, like a single teacher, but it tends to fall apart because they just get overwhelmed by other demands in the system. So we have to go where the energy is and uh, work with the folks who are ready. And what do you, and you work with a lot of schools already, okay, a lot of districts, a lot of independent schools. You know, you work with a lot of charter schools, Montessori schools. You work with a lot of schools, okay, public schools, et cetera. What, what's the feedback you hear? from the educators and i hope we get to do more shows together and you can bring some of them on but just from what you're hearing what are, what are 
the big challenge. And one of the things I wrote down, you know, we, 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 we all want to get to know our kids better, find out what they want to do, et cetera. But there's a serious time factor involved. Teachers are, oh, they, they get too much to do in too few hours. Okay. So my question is, what are you hearing as, as you go in? Okay, to, to schools. And what you hear and the, the feedback you get, obviously, you're always changing what you do. Okay, but it's going to help listeners understand uh, the, the process, so to speak, of working with, with a company like Lyft. Go ahead. What do you, what, what's the feedback? Yeah, so the feedback um, in the beginning is excitement. They say, oh, okay. this is exactly nice. why I got into teaching. Nice. Um, That's great. Like, I, I'm here to make a change. You know, we've sort of been compromising uh, just because we have to deal with realities and time pressures and whatever. And, and so initially, it's a spark. It, that's why we call it lift. It, it lifts up both the teacher and the educator to see some new possibilities. But then there's an implementation dip, the learning curve to rethink the way you do your daily instruction um, can be challenging. And in that phase, kind of that first few months, um, maybe to the first year, you know, it's a lot of, um, you know, restructuring and mm-hmm. it's, a little, it's a little tentative. And um, mm-hmm. that's where the leadership can step in and keep the momentum going, keep encouraging folks to keep going because there, there hits this moment where you can't unsee the results. Whereas you might walk into your classroom in, you know, last year and the kids are sitting there waiting saying, tell me what to do. But now you're walking into your classroom and your kids are already on their projects because they care about them. And they're already saying, you know, I think I'm ready uh, to be assessed for mastery on this particular skill. Can you take a look at my portfolio? And when you see that change as a teacher, it's really hard to go back. You want to become a facilitator. I would imagine. So they say a facilitator of learning, not the sage <laughs> on the stage. Well, and, that's, what, that's what I always <laughs> – that's funny you would say that because I always say we should change the, the, the name of the, the – change the name of the profession from teacher, which is a reflection of you or us, uh, back to the steward. We're not about teaching. We're about learning. It has to be, you have to be a learning facilitator. You have to get a master's of learning, not a master of teaching. Okay. But you just said what I always say all the time. Thank you for backing me up without knowing it. Well, one thing that really helps uh, shrink the change and, and turn on that light bulb is if the, if the teachers can use Lyft for their own professional learning and oh, they can experience it themselves. So we have a number of uh, districts um, and consortia of districts that are using the platform for a whole year before they ever turn it on for students. They want their teachers to experience co-created projects, goal setting, measuring themselves against educator competencies, and building portfolios that they can use for recertification or for um, you know, just the practice of what is portfolio assessment. And that lived experience really um, makes a difference. So then they really have the capacity and the, the know-how when they want to bring it to their classroom. They see the value of it directly. 
You know, you know, David, it's interesting. Uh, I, I was going to ask you when I had this plan, but I, I didn't ask the question, whether you saw your company as a, uh, a, a company for the students or a company or a company for the teachers. Okay. And we, I don't know if you heard me say at the beginning, we're very, very concerned here about teacher retention. A lot of teachers are very frustrated with their job. About 50% of them are thinking of leaving the profession on any given day. Okay. It's just absolutely unbelievable. And, well, it seems to me you're, you, what lift learning does is great for kids, and I do mean that. It's great for kids, okay? And it has to be managed by teachers. But in, in, ter- but in turn, those teachers need to be managed by administration. And your prof- the, the, the professional development idea in terms of teacher retention, if we can engage teachers in reassessing themselves in a pleasant and informative way, okay, uh, to me they're going to be a lot happier in their job. Okay, and when they go and they teach the kids then, okay, they really have a deeper understanding. What are your thoughts on that about how this affects the way teachers look at their jobs? That's a very interesting side positioning of this. It's a great question with multiple levels. Uh, I think burnout is a huge factor. And when you have kids that aren't acting out because they're disengaged, you know, and putting disengagement and boredom on top of what's already happening in adolescence, um, learning just becomes fun. It becomes contagious and it's peer to peer. And it's, you know, the, the, the teachers go learn new things every day because the kids are doing projects that teachers don't know much about. And that's cool because the teachers can still facilitate the learning. So, so it's medicine for burnout for sure. But um, I also think that medicine for burnout, I love that. That's a great line, medicine for burnout. <laughs> you, you can take that one to the bank, my friend. Okay. Uh, well, we, we need medicine for lots of things, and burnout is, is certainly one of them uh, for all of us, and we need to attend to that. Um, but I also think we uh, need to do a better job building a, a diverse teacher pipeline. Yo, yo, we have to question. think newly about this, and – of course, honor the profession um, and compensate and, you know, create the right conditions um, for creativity and, um, you know, participation with, for the teachers. So, you know, I hear the tension. We're not a magic bullet. Um, but for the people who are getting into the profession because they want to have an impact, that is higher today than ever. I think the pandemic has heightened a lot of people's introspection around why am I here? What do I want to do with my life force? I want to help. And by bringing those people into teaching opportunities, whether informally as mentors and tutors or more formally as teachers, I think you're going to, you know, build new communities and um, bring a lot of vibrancy because of the uh, desire to make positive change, and I know that's a little rose-colored glasses, but look, we have to. We got to start somewhere. The ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. and I am hearing that amongst the people who are building teacher pipelines that this is happening. Uh, so some will leave the profession because it's you know too hard, or they want to do something different. But a new generation can come in. Intri- and intrinsically 
understanding what experiential learning. Well, I'll I'll tell you what I've been saying lately, Dave, and that is if we we are very short of it, we have a very small teacher pipeline these days. And if you want to build a teacher pipeline, there's all these millions of ways to do it. You'd certainly grow your own and all that sort of thing. But my point is if kids don't understand, if the kids don't like school, okay, they're, they're probably not going to be teachers. Okay. If we don't keep kids engaged, Okay, and they have a lousy time in school. Nobody's going to choose a profession where they had a lousy time for 12 years. Okay. Well, let me tell and, you a story about that. Go ahead, uh, that please. sort of lands that right inside of one of the great uh, charter school networks that we work with. Go ahead. When they assess kids for, for mastery learning, they expect the kids to go through four phases. The first phase is they just want to, like, understand what something is. And then they go – through the phase where they want to get the kids doing something uh, and they look for what they call cognitive dissonance, um, right? They look for when things get hard and frustrating because that's a sign learning is happening. And it's a sign Mm. the kid is sort of moving towards mastery because they're engaged with the struggle. And then there's kind of levels of proficiency, um, what they expect, though, is after a kid demonstrates proficiency, in other words, they know the material, they can demonstrate the you know, core uh, knowledge, yep. and they expect the kid to teach it, to explain it. They, <laughs> they expect the kid to pass it on to their peers. That's moving from proficiency to mastery, or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a powerful connector. We've seen kids who are reluctant learners, right? They're great with their hands. They've got skills, but they're not traditionally that successful in school. But when they can teach other kids things that these kids never could imagine doing them themselves, there's this tremendous validation and, and they get all of the self-esteem and they're accepted in a, in the, you know, in the school community, not an outcast because they look at the world differently, but because they can do things. So, so teaching creates that virtuous cycle. And if we can build that into our, the younger grades, um, I think we'll all become teachers because we are all teachers. That was well said, my friend. And I'll tell you, we got to keep these kids engaged. You know, it's, it's amazing how many things, when I talk to companies like, like this, it has to do with teacher reading. It's a vicious cycle out there, okay? And it all builds upon each other. I think this is great. Dave, we got to go, but we're going to do more. I'll call you either today or on Monday, okay? And we'll have a nice I'll conversation about this. Yeah, and by the way, I do too. And also, I'll send you uh, the link to the podcast, okay? So you can use it okay. and brag a little bit that you were on the show, et cetera, et cetera. It was, this was great. It's, uh, it's, it's fun to not only talk to you for lift learning, but to talk to a fellow New Englander, okay, who looks forward to snow. What can I tell you? Yes, yes, indeed. Let, let's keep it going, and uh, thanks yeah, for all of your me. work. Whether and, we uh, want it or not, it's going to keep going. You don't have to worry about that. A New Englander is hale and hearty. Have a good weekend, David. I'll talk to you. I promise you. You too. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. There you go. David Lipkin, liftlearning.com. Good stuff. And he's working with a lot of good school districts. You'll see on the website, a lot of good charter schools, private schools, et cetera. This is good stuff. And it is that new paradigm that we're constantly talking about. 
Okay, it's just one of them, but it it works. Competency based education, which has a lot to do with PBL, I might add. Anyway, check it all out. Check out what we do over at ace-ed.org. We'll be back with three shows next week, Monday and Tuesday. I'm Larry Jacobs. You guys have a good weekend. Thanks for listening.